0: Hi Rob. Hi Ali. It's so good to be in a room with you and have a bit of uh, one-on-one time. We're always slipping past each other in meetings and um, talking about work stuff. So it's good to be able to talk about education stuff, just the two of us. Um, Rob, I know that um, your position is Deputy Dean of Education and you've held it for a while, but you have also had the role of Interim Dean for nearly two years. Um, So, when I've come to meet you and uh, become acquainted with you, you've always been an education leader for me of some kind or another. Is that how you imagined yourself 20 years ago when you thought about your um, life at Monash?
1: Ah, thanks, Ali. That's a really good question. So, 20 years ago, uh, I was a much younger career academic, and I was probably at that stage in my career where my interests were in discipline scholarship and making a contribution into the discipline areas of finance and econometrics and, you know, the ability to do a, a management and leadership role in the university really wasn't part of the thinking. Uh, it wasn't a path that I thought about going down, but I think a bit like the the research projects I ended up doing were because I thought they were interesting projects and they got me to work with great people. And so to some extent, I ended up in university management and leadership roles because they ended up being really interesting projects. And you got to work with great people. And I got (laughs) to work with great people. So the same reasons I ended up being involved in research projects for, I ended up doing roles in in a university leadership and management sense for exactly the same reasons. But no, there was certainly no deliberate plan of sitting there Twenty years ago, and thinking, "Wow, it would be great to be a deputy dean of education in twenty years' time?"
0: Mm. So it's the people that have kept you here, here, and in these roles. So when I when I ask you, Rob, about being an education leader, how does that kind of term "education leader" sit with you? Does it feel odd? Does it feel mm. comfy? Does it reflect who you are? So
1: it, it, it's an interesting question to to think about it as a, an education leader type idea. So I think the if if the key bit of leadership is giving people who are talented, both staff and students, the opportunity to do a set of things in education that advance their careers and knowledge, then being an educational leader sits well, thinking about it in a, in a facilitation sense, and, uh, and and being an enabler of what lots of other talented people want to do and and trying to give people an idea on how the environment's evolving and how what they do might want to develop and change. So I'm comfortable to think of, you know, a leadership and management role in, in those sort of terms, because that's what I actually see it as about. I think... Being in a deputy dean education role is you're in an influence role and you have to convince people of the worth of what you do based on the strength of the evidence that you can bring and the strength of the case that you can advocate. And you have to be flexible to understand their perspectives and dimensions around the evidence and case as well and be adaptive.
0: Mm, So in that sense,
1: I'm comfortable
0: so it sounds uh, like you adopt quite an educational orientation to the w- to the work of educational leader. Uh, so I think on that, um, you know, my
1: my discipline background is econometrics. So um, that, that's where I did my my formative study, and you know, econometrics, which literally means measurement in economics, but is you know very much about how do you take a statistical and a mathematical toolkit and use that to create an evidence base to make informed decisions Mm -hmm. about policy and other problems of relevance. So I think a lot of our education offerings and how we work to improve them is around that same line. It's getting a broader evidence base and it's using that evidence base to make decisions and to understand the, the benefits of decisions and the costs and to be able to weigh up the risks. The, the difference, if I think back, so with the, the formative training I had as a PhD student was very much in a, in a quantitative research methodology framework, and, and at the time I did it, you, you didn't do a qualitative research methods um, course or the like. The one plus of, of doing a series of roles and working with people who are great qualitative researchers and experts is I've ended up with a more holistic view of what is the evidence base and how do you use it to make decisions and how do you have a set of conversations with people around understanding their perspectives on the issues.
0: So it sounds to me from the way you describe it that even though you're not necessarily working uh, in the traditional way you might conceive of a career academic in the way that you put it that your evidence base sorry that your discipline is still very much informs the way that you that, that you that you lead. So you haven't kind of left it behind.
1: No, I, I would agree with that, actually, Ellie, in that sense of the word. So I think you, you know, so the, what does the discipline base give you? The discipline base gives you an ability to solve problems and be interested in understanding problems and how do you formulate them and how do you work towards solutions of them. So that bit of the research process has stayed... Extremely relevant, mm-hmm. and albeit with a much more holistic evidence base, and albeit to a, a different set of problems with, with a different range of data. And I've also been lucky that I have a set of really good co authors that I still do um, a small bit of personal scholarship with. Uh-huh. So I'm still, I still do a little bit.
0: So you've been able to keep up all those all the areas of your work, teaching, research, and leadership. So I, I I like having a mixed
1: role. So so I still do a bit of research. Um, to be fair, my co to be fair, I have great co-authors, and they're doing, you know, a, a significant part of the the heavy lifting mm. work that I might used to have done when mm-hmm. I was a more junior academic. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing I think as a deputy in education that I've kept. Doing is staying involved with teaching. Mm. Um, I've stayed involved with the with the teaching and the educational programs in part because I find it something that I love doing. In part, I think it's because it's great to interact with the tremendously talented students that we have here. In part, I think it's a credibility issue in terms of bringing about. The change in the educational agenda, both in a policy sense and in a technology sense and a regulatory sense, to be able to say, well, all of the to be able to go to colleagues, you know, in the faculty and say, well, you know, all of these things that you're doing that are now different from what you might have traditionally done, I'm doing all of them as well. So it's not it's it's not just saying to people, you know they shall change the way you do this, it's actually having part of that experience mm. of doing it as mm. well, and it's also over time having got to work with lots of people who are great educators, being able to take their ideas and implement them in in the in, in the in the teaching that I've done mm.
0: so Rob, um I've sometimes just getting back to educational leadership, I've heard people talk about it as. The administrative work, oh, you're involved in admin work, they often call it, you know, they refer to the educational leadership element as admin, sometimes as service, and sometimes people uh, describe it as a kind of tour of duty, you have to do it and then you can get back to the real work, yeah? Has it felt like that to you or do you feel like this is exactly who you are now and you live that leadership role and identity?
1: Sure. So the admin dimension of it is something that wouldn't actually sit comfortable with me. I don't actually think of it as an admin role. Um, it it has a set of regulatory and policy compliance elements to it that are administrative in nature, but I don't actually think of it as an admin role. Um, I would agree it's a service role in the same way that, in the same way that people do editor and associate editor roles of journals and in the same way that you referee papers for journals and in the same way that you examine PhD dissertations from other universities, that's all service to a discipline area, but it's all still tremendously important and it's not admin. I think an educational leadership role is about service to the university and it's about service to, to the discipline area more broadly. So we are lucky from the perspective of being a, a Deputy Dean Education in this faculty that, you know, the Business Deans Council in Australia is very active. It has a series of networks. One of them is a learning and teaching network. So it's that ability to do that cross-institutional collaboration that sits there as well. So I'm happy to think of that as service, but equally senior academics should do service. We shouldn't all do the same service. Mm. Someone doing service of being the editor of a major journal and having that run efficiently and running conferences is doing a service role and that's fantastically important and that's what senior people should do and people should do university leadership and and management roles in part because they're stimulating and great roles to do but also in part because as, as one progresses through... A career and becomes older and having been around the place more, part of being senior is actually making a service contribution to the institution, to the discipline, and to scholarship
0: in the area more broadly. Mm. I like the way you talk about it as service to the discipline too, that's interesting. I don't often think about it in that way. So, so Rob, um, leaders, who out there um, strikes you as a compelling leader? I don't mean out in Monash, could be Monash World or beyond Monash World. Who strikes you as somebody compelling?
1: Who wow. are you drawn to? A compelling leader. Now, a compelling leader is a sort of interesting um, uh, dimension to it. And 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 of course, coming from a business school and talking to colleagues in, in management and in the MBA programs who have greater scholarly expertise in in leadership, uh, they they would talk to you more about Leadership styles and 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 different dimensions of um of what has to be done. I think, in a leadership sense, it's this interesting dimension of do you become? There's a set of people who are leaders because they're leaders in a in a disruptive sense, and and they create new ways of doing things and they come up with with new innovations. So. The, um, the the Steve Jobs, Elon Musk-style, you know, leader. They're disruptive, they're changing the way their industry works and they're at the vanguard of doing things differently. Um, you know, the other dimension to think about in a leadership sense is people who make their leadership contribution through institutions. So a few years ago, someone bought me um, the the David Brooks text on, you know, the road to character. And so his example in that of, of a great leader in his perspective is the George Marshall view of the world, you know, the, the significant US military figure who ended up running the Marshall Plan on the reconstruction of Europe who chose to make their leadership contribution through institutions and making institutions better. Mm. And so I think leadership sits as a portfolio um, type issue. I think having been in the Monash context and having interacted with with the offshore campuses, there's also the question of having, you know, leaders who come from different traditions other than than you know a very um us-centric version of the world i we mean, you know to some extent that's probably unfair to elon musk in mm. his background but you know if you think about it you know from our south africa campus you look know, at the leadership units you know they've they've had a lot of their curriculum around nelson mandela and other charismatic leaders in, mm. in in the african context that brought about significant social change mm. and after having gone through you know uh, an awfully terrible and you know um, reprehensible set of treatment for a period of time but who actually came out of that as a as a person who whose view was to make the world a better place and not be embittered by an awful experience
0: that they had had. Mm -hmm. So would you say that all those dimensions are the dimensions that influence you? I think it's having a yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. I think it's
1: having a portfolio approach mm-hmm. and saying, you know, there's not, there's never any one way of being successful at anything, and and it's drawing insights and and approaches and and successes from from other people.
0: Mm. So Rob, I know that um, so you talked about being a career academic. I know you've been at Monash for a while, and that I think you went, you know sort of, and perhaps not exactly directly, but PhD and then into teaching and then et cetera, et cetera. It's a fairly standard uh, career path. Did, does that strike you as the career path of the future for academics? Mm. Do you think it's going to look different in sure. 2030?
1: Mm-hmm. So I have had a standard career path, you know, and, and been a career academic. Um, I have had experience of, you know, other institutions, so so it hasn't purely been yeah. Monash, but, but, but I have been a career academic because... I've found it really rewarding work to do. Um, I think the interesting thing about our workforce going forward is we clearly will have a portion of our workforce who are, you know, teaching and research academics and people who bring a a scholarly background to both what they do in an education and a research sense. But but I think in a in a business education area, a part of our workforce is going to be a practice-based academic and it's going to be people who've done advanced level study and then gone off and had significant industry experience and then come back and brought that industry experience to academia. So I think we will end up with a more it's mixed a workforce mm. where we will have people who, you know, for want of a better term, are traditional academics. Um, we will then have a, a, a practice-based workforce that, that bring industry framing to what we do. We would probably have a set of people who are specialists in, in that educational technology dimension and how those domains play in as well. So I think we probably end up with a, with a more heterogeneous workforce if I thought about the, the sector as a whole, um, the interesting question is whether you know, you ultimately end up with greater differentiation between institutional types and you have some people more at the research-informed end of the spectrum and other people more info- at the practice end of the spectrum.
0: So, Rob, um, if you hadn't been a career academic... Well, what's your secret job? What would you have been?
1: Oh, gosh. If I hadn't been a career academic, what would I have Anything academic,
0: what would you have been? If I hadn't been a career academic, what would I have ended up doing?
1: Aye, 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 aye. Well, I, unfortunately... Um, unfortunately as my sporting career finished earlier not not through lack of effort but through lack of ability talent Um, talent. all all those really attractive (laughs) career options disappeared so but this is a
0: dream you can dream that you're highly talented
1: so i've always had to just sit in the stands you know at the at the mcg rather than being on the field so you know that that's always you know that 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 was not for want of trying it was for lack of ability um it's interesting i've had a a little bit to your question earlier around career paths Ali. some of my phd students have become career academics but some of them have actually become industry people and some of them have become industry people who've become practice academics so i you know i sort of wonder at times whether that would have you know but i don't know that I would have been fulfilled in the in the same sense you know i've been very lucky to have a wonderful job to work with lots of really talented people so i don't know that i I don't know what that alternative is, short of it being totally speculative and unrealistic.
0: Oh, that's the kind I wanted. (laughs) So thank you, Rob, um, for that. Um, It's been good to talk to you and hear about your perspective, Um, and thank you.
1: Thank you very much.